Welcome to Tufts Talks. This is your host, Logan Chin. In today's episode, you will be hearing a short conversation with myself and Ben Curland, co-founder of Bill Fixers, a business that saves consumers money on their bills. They have been featured in the New York Times, USA Today, Business Week, and on NBC Nightly News. Ben graduated Tufts in 2015, majoring in political science and leadership studies, and by senior year was mock trial captain. Prior to founding Bill Fixers, Ben was a freelance graphic designer, working with brands such as Hilton Hotels, Berkshire Hathaway, and Caterpillar. In our conversation, Ben spoke about the graphic design industry, his experience founding Bill Fixers, what it was like growing Bill Fixers, the fallacies of startup culture, and of course, Ben imparted advice directed towards us young, aspiring entrepreneurs. Without further ado, I bring to you Ben Kirland. All right, uh, Ben Curlin, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, Logan. I'm I'm glad to be here. Of course. So uh, I think before we delve into your career um, as a graphic designer and as the co-founder of Bill Fixtures, um, I want to ask you about your time at Tufts. Um, obviously, this is because most of the listeners here uh, are Tufts undergraduates, and uh, you uh, graduated Tufts in 2015 with a bachelor's in political science and leadership studies. Uh, I guess, uh, when you were at Tufts uh, studying poli-sci, what were your ambitions at the time? (laughs) It's a uh, good question. Um, You know, first off, I'm very impressed by the the research staff at the podcast. Uh, You know, you know more about my college (laughs) career than I even remember. Um, I'm pretty sure they've They've killed the leadership studies minor. I don't even know if it exists anymore. I know the entrepreneurial leadership studies still exist, but uh, Mm -hmm. I I may have been one of the only people to actually get that minor. Um, Yeah, to be totally honest, when when I was there, I didn't have any idea what I was doing. And I just started taking classes until, uh, uh, you know, they started to form into a major. And I was like, oh, I'm kind of interested in political stuff. And I'll, you know, take some of those. And then I got to like my senior year and I looked at the minors and I was like, oh, cool. I have enough credits for a minor in this thing. Um, But almost all of my time at Tufts was spent doing extracurricular stuff. I uh, unfortunately was not a particularly dedicated student and did not leave behind any interesting academic work. Mm. And and, uh, I presume you did a lot of uh, graphic design work at Tufts as part of your extracurriculars? Yeah, so my the the two big things that I did, one of which was was mock trial, which took up a lot of my time. I did, you know, four years of that. And then I also worked on the observer, um, starting as somebody doing design work and then, you know, doing more and more stuff. And I, you know, I became a news editor and then I became uh the editor in chief eventually my uh my senior year. So that that was kind of the the design outlet, although you know, every once in a while, I tricked Tufts into paying me for some design work, which was always nice. <laughs> awesome. And by the time you graduated, um, you worked at Dark Horse Books uh, doing marketing design. I guess was the was your uh, transition into graphic design as a career something that was sort of premeditated, or was it more of a oh, I'm I'm good at this, I have experience in this, and might as well pursue it. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I was doing freelance design stuff while I was in school and I had, uh, you know, a, a bunch of credits from APs and from always taking 
full course loads. And so my, the, this, the fall of my senior year, I just took off and worked, um, in Chicago for a bunch of different companies. I worked for, um, basically as like a, as like, <laughs> like a design temp agency. And so I would freelance for like a design agency or for Hilton hotels or for, um, Caterpillar and just like hopped around from a bunch of different places. And that was basically just kind of like, Hey, I've got this skill set, and I'd like to earn, earn a little money. And so I'll, mm-hmm. I'll put those together. Um, and that, that was, you know, basically my planned career trajectory while I was in school because, you know, I was already making money doing it. And it wasn't until the, you know, basically graduating and moving, moving back to Nashville where I'm from that I sat down with my brother and, and basically totally changed the career trajectory to starting a business. Mm. And uh, when you're in the the graphic design world, I guess, can you tell me a little bit about that industry? Um, what's it like? Is it, uh, is it like really political? Is it competitive? I just, how, how does it work? Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's different, there's different worlds, obviously, you know, I loved the the stuff that I was doing because basically it never, never gave me a chance to get bored because I would work at one agency for two weeks and then go to another agency for two weeks. Um, you, you know, design is an especially freelancey world. So, you know, you kind of build up a, a, a book of clients or you jump around. I think, you know, I think it's a very different experience if you settle down at an agency or a firm or in-house somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, my experience was basically, uh, you know, a lot of fun and also, you know, pretty lonely cause it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you, you're not putting down roots anywhere cause you have a, a book of freelance clients and, you know, you don't actually spend time making friends in an office or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I want to go, uh, momentarily I'll go more into, uh, your transition and, uh, into founding uh, build fixtures, but yeah, uh, I guess did you leave that graphic design world because you were uh, discontent with some of its aspects, or uh, it's just the the opportunity of build fixtures sort of was uh, was too good to to was too good to turn down, really? Yeah, no, I mean, I basically there there was there wasn't like a day when I said, "Hey, I'm gonna you know switch career trajectory." Um, basically I, you know, I stopped taking on new clients cause I was really busy with bill fixers. And then I started handing off clients because I was even more busy with bill fixers. You know, I still do some, some design stuff. Basically I, I work with political campaigns and some nonprofits, um, basically as a, as a way to feel like I'm doing good things in the world. Um, <laughs> and so I still kind of keep my keep my toe in that, but also as Bill Fixers got to be more and more serious, I got to use that as kind of a design outlet too. So I didn't, you know, I was I was able to do UI UX work and and fun stuff that you know didn't didn't feel like I was totally giving up on you know this uh, this other path. That's great, and um, well, it seems like aside from your, your graphic design work that you're doing with political campaigns and whatnot. Uh, you're still doing a bunch of good in the world with bill fixers. So, how did how, how did how did bill fixers come about? You mentioned that you started with your brother. Um, it's a fascinating idea. I guess, firstly, could you explain uh, to our audience bill bill fixers, and could you also just tell us the story of uh, you know the, the genesis of of bill fixers? 
Yeah. So basically what we do at Bill Fixtures is we negotiate your bills. So if you're an average consumer, you're probably getting ripped off by Comcast or AT&T or whoever. And instead of having to call them and wait on hold and deal with all the hassle, we'll come in as mercenary negotiators, negotiate you a better deal, and then split the savings with you. So if we're able to knock down your internet bill by 30 bucks a month, we'll charge 15 bucks a month. Um, we also do the same thing with small businesses. So we work on everything from negotiating software as a service contracts to you know dumpsters and, and all sorts of weird stuff. As far as the genesis, um, you know, I never really have a good story for it. It's basically just that I'm, I'm very cheap. My brother's also cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were negotiating our own bills where we were living. And, you know, it basically realized that there's this pre-built system for, for internet bills specifically, and also for, for wireless and, and several other things that people have to deal with that the pricing is structured where you're overcharged by default and then they expect you to call in and negotiate. And we realized mm-hmm. that people weren't doing that either because they didn't know how to, or they didn't even know that they could, or because it's just really, really annoying to deal with. Um, so we started doing that kind of for like family and friends. And then we posted online and, and got some traction for people that were interested. Uh, and it basically became like a little fun side hustle that we did that we you know put a couple of hours a week into but i was still at tufts and he was in law school at the time and so it wasn't either of our you know main focus and then once we both graduated and moved back to nashville where we're from we kind of sat down and we're like hey we could really make something out of this and and decided to actually turn it into a full-fledged business that's awesome and um, obviously, as you said, it's a full-fledged business now. You guys have been featured in a bunch of major publications and you have a pretty substantial team of 24. Um, I know this is somewhat of a, a loaded question, but <laughs> I guess, can you tell us the the story of your expansion? Uh, it says you guys started in 2014, You know, now we're in 2020. I guess, what was that uh, trajectory like into expanding to something really established? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was definitely a roller coaster. Um, yeah, those, those first two years, 2014 and 2016 were the kind of like, Hey, if, you know, if somebody finds our, you know, post on Reddit or whatever, and they sign up, then we'll negotiate their bill, but we're not actively trying to do anything with this. Um, and then in 2016, when we decided to actually make a go of it, what we did was we went out and tried to get press, um, and that, that was kind of the, like the big explosion for us was, you know, we, we got some medium sized press pieces, you know, we got a local piece in the newspaper here in Nashville, which is the Tennessean, which then got picked up in USA Today because it was owned by USA Today. And so that got us like a medium amount of business. And then we were able to leverage that into getting interviews with the New York Times and with NBC Nightly News. And then that really like exploded things. And we all of a sudden we had these like thousands of customers signing up and we had to, you know, hire additional people and, and find office space and all, all the stuff that you have to deal with. Um, and basically this, the story of the last four years since that is how do you, you know, capitalize on that and continue to find ways to grow that are, you know, that are sustainable and scalable and, you know, 
measurable where you, you know, you put in a quarter and you, and you get out a dime. You, well, that'd be a terrible business model. You put in, you put in a nickel and you get out a dime. Um, and trying to figure out ways to grow like that rather than, you know, these big leaps and bounds. Cause the, there are definitely scale issues if you go from, you know, having a couple hundred customers to having a couple thousand of them overnight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, de- definitely. And I guess everyone I've talked to who's, uh, you know, run a successful business um, such as yours, they've always described to me a moment or several moments where they sort of uh, went to bed and thought, um, maybe this, maybe this is not a, not a great idea, or there was some obstacle that, you know, put their, uh, put their, put the, uh, their ambitions into doubt, I guess. Um, do you have any, uh, like, do you have any, uh, challenge, are there any challenges that come to mind, uh, when it came to really growing bill fixtures where you thought, mm, like, this is, this is going to be really hard to overcome and uh, obviously mental perseverance paid off. Do, do you have any instances like that? Yeah. I mean, honestly, that, happens you know all the time there's you know there's always new and weird stuff that that comes up um you know the for us kind of one of the one of the hurdles is you i mean you know there's there's kind of two weird parallel worlds that exist at the same time um in the uh, you know in the in, in entrepreneurship um you know one of which is people building like reasonable businesses that, you know, grow slowly and turn a profit and are like a little more traditional. And then the other of which is the completely insane world of, you know, startups and venture funding. And, you know, you, you are supposed to grow, you know, a hundred X and then be sold for a billion dollars. And, you know, everything is happening as a rocket ship at all times. Um, And for, us we've we've kind of teetered between the two worlds and we've never gone out to get funding um although we've you know we've had people talk to us about it but the one of the challenges for us is fundamentally the original concept of the business is a service business where you know you have people making phone calls all day um which if you're in the the entrepreneurial startup world of, you know, everything has to be a hundred percent automated for it to, you know, be an interesting business that can feel really daunting. Uh, and so, you know, that, that's been kind of the big stressor for me and kind of a stumbling block a couple of times where it feels like, Hey, you know, this is a business, but it's not a startup because it's not just pure code. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the reality of the situation is that basically none of the really cool startups that everybody say are pure code are pure code. And, you know, what's actually happening behind the scenes is it's just a huge amount of human labor for every business, but it never, you know, it never feels that way. You always look out from your window and you look at other people and you say, oh, well, they must be doing everything perfectly. Yeah. Uh, it's, it seems that seems to be a, a common, um, I guess, misconception and maybe a product of how we romanticize startups. You know, uh, when we think of startups, we think of the Airbnbs and whatnot. And, uh, you know, 
one would say that you know Airbnb is all code. You're right, but I'm sure, as you said, uh, you know, when just when they start, when they just started, I'm sure it was very different. Um, I guess before we finish, uh, I want to ask you uh, what and this and again, this may be a loaded question, so apologies, but I guess what enduring lessons have you learned uh, from your career so far as a graphic designer and as a co-founder of Bill Fixers? Uh, the it's a it's a good question and it's you know it's it's hard to say because you know i'm in in some ways you know i'm whatever five years out from graduating from tufts and i'm uh i would like to think that i'm older and wiser and in many ways i'm not um but Mm -hmm. you know it's it's hard it's hard to know if whatever advice i would give right now is going to be the same advice that i would give in in five years or in 20 years or if even you should listen to the advice that i have to give um the, you know, the thing that's been remarkable to me, um, which is advantageous to, to Tufts kids in particular, um, is just kind of how unfair the whole entrepreneur system is, um, that there's the, you know, there's this mythology around it of like, you know, if you take the right advice and if you work really hard and, and, have a great idea, then you'll be a huge success. Um, and the, you know, the reality of it is, that if, you know, for, for somebody like me, I had somewhere to stay for free at my parents' house when I got out of school and, you know, wasn't making money at this business yet. And I, you know, and, and when you go on a, um, the, you know, Tufts had like a networking zoom call the other month and I, you know, chimed in to see what it was like. And it was like just these like fabulously wealthy, you know, investor types all hanging out. And it's just like, there's, there's this huge discrepancy between what you can't, you know, the, the ease of accomplishing starting a business. If you have this big cushion behind you, um, and how much more difficult it is for folks that I talked to that, you know, that haven't been in that situation, they're starting to, they're trying to start a business while they have a full-time job or a family or whatever. Um, and so I, you know, I think basically anybody that's going to be listening to this, it's very likely, uh, to be in a, in a similar position to what I was in, where I had the support of family and I had a network of friends that, you know, that were around to give good advice and who were off, you know, doing cool things and having cool careers. Um, and so, you know, to that group of people, great, you know, I, I say, go for it, take, take the leap and, you know, do risky stuff because, you know, then you fall back on, uh, an undergraduate degree from a good school and probably a family that can support you. Um, but you know, that, that I think it's worth contemplating the, the degree to which just like luck and privilege and, uh, you know, and having a bunch of support is 90% of the effort of being able to do something successful. And then the 10% that's, you know, working hard and having good advice and coming up with a good idea, uh, you know, that's just stacked on top of all of the foundation that's already been set up for you. Yeah, totally. Um, last question, uh, 
and you know feel free to disclose as much as you want to disclose i guess for bill fixers or for yourself personally uh what are your what are your goals uh, what's yeah what's what's looming on the horizon yeah uh i mean it it, it changes the we're kind of working on two things right now you know one of which is an expansion of the b2b side of the business um because yeah and this is a this is an easy pro tip but basically anything in the b2b world uh, the margins are so much better uh and you know you you have to do you know you get five times the return from the same amount of work um, so we're we're growing that side of the business and doing more work negotiating for businesses and then separately working on the the technology and the scalability of the consumer side of the business so that um you know yeah you can't make everything 100% code but making as much of the business fast and smooth and easy and really user friendly and and have and make it a delightful experience. Um, and so, you know, potentially what we might end up doing is go out and, and raise some money for the consumer side. Um, but, but basically right now what that looks like is, uh, you know, put, put, putting a bunch of development effort into it. And, uh, and for me, you know, designing a bunch of pretty UI screens and getting to use some of that graphic design <laughs> still. Oh, that's great. Uh, well, that concludes our interview. Ben Curlin, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Logan. This was a blast.